I remember thinking about my teachers. Oh, I could never do that. They stand in front of a classroom and they have no idea what we all think of them, you know, and all that. And, you know, I ended up becoming a teacher and, and I learned to just to take on so many things that kayaking, whitewater kayaking, I was afraid of anything. So it just, um, for me, AA opened up the whole world. I heard it through the grapevine. Welcome. It's the AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour, featuring the collected voices of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm Don, your friendly neighborhood alcoholic in Greensboro, North Carolina. Oh, hey, Don. Um, hey, everybody. I'm Sam, maybe a friendly alcoholic in Palm Springs, California. Are you saying you're not friendly? Well, I mean, I have my moments. <laughs> Sometimes I have to make amends. I'm just trying to be welcoming, but, you know, if I'm cranky, I guess I can make amends. It depends on the coffee level. <laughs> Sam, I'm so excited. Yeah? I just can't hide it. What? I'm about to lose my mind, and I think I like it. Don, it's almost like you're bouncing around over there doing the Neutron dance or something. <laughs> What's got you so excited? <laughs> it's the first of the month. The new grapevines are here! <laughs> the February issue is all about that new freedom and happiness we get from working the steps. This month's issue features powerful stories of hope about members making amends, repairing the damage we did during our years of drinking, and sometimes during our years of getting sober. <laughs> In the story, The Best Son I Can Be, a member in Maryland learns all about making living amends to his mom. In Payback, a woman in Michigan who ruined a friendship with drinking and stealing finds that the healing she and her friend got from the steps was priceless. Unable to make amends to her mom, the daughter in All She Ever Wanted is grateful to find that there's often another way. And I can say that's true. I love that because I made a kind of a substitute amends in a couple of situations where direct amends were not possible. Hmm. And in Making the Rounds, a man in California sets out with his sponsor's help to make a few amends at an ex's funeral. Turns out there were more than a few. You know, before I came to AA... Amends were not part of my vocabulary at all. I mean, I didn't even know what that word really meant. My approach to hurting another person was to either just become extra nice or to justify in my mind that they really deserved it. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> I got a, a bit of a uh, an acid tongue, let's say, that thankfully has been tempered over the years now in recovery. Is that why you're not your friendly neighborhood alcoholic? <laughs> it might be. Don't don't poke the bear, Don. You don't want to find out. I don't want to have to make amends to you. <laughs> but yeah, seriously, I, I can't recall specifics, but I know that just in general, it led to avoidance. You know, I would avoid people mm -hmm. and or I would just write them off. I would make them a non-person at that point. That clerk deserved it or, you know, whatever. What's interesting and I love over the years of living in this program, that has gotten so uncomfortable. I don't want to be in that position. So I 
I don't do it as nearly as much as I used to do. I mean, you know, the jerk shows up from time to time, but not frequently. Yeah. Uh, I had a friend that's not in the program. She was talking to me about some bad behavior she did that she regretted with someone else. And she said, what I'm doing is I'm being extra nice to him to make up for it. And, you know, I, I was going, um, there's another way, but I didn't want... I have found that sometimes sharing the way that we do things with NAA that really works. Other people aren't as willing to hear it as people in AA are like, you need to commence to that person. No doubt. (laughs) I mean, you know, it took me being beaten down into a state of reasonableness by alcohol to even try this on. There's a lot of people in this world that are never going to try on something like that. But, you know, I'm really grateful that I am. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I got yeah. beaten down to that place where I needed to try this and was willing to. Yeah, the, I I didn't believe that making amends was really going to give me the benefit that I get from it and that I have gotten from it. And I was doubtful at first, and that being beaten down is the way I got there as well. Absolutely. And you know, you also talked about being extra nice. You know, I was brought up well, you know, my parents raised me right, grandparents and the family and people around me. And I was taught to apologize, but making amends was never really taught to me. Yeah, it's a different way to live. And the benefits are just, they continue to grow. So yeah, absolutely. Who's our guest today? Well, Don, today's guest is Laura S., the author of Learning to Feel. Her story is on page 58 of the January 2023 issue. Learning to Feel. I've read that one, and I'm excited to talk to her. I feel you. I'm learning to feel you, Sam, but I'm I'm keeping my distance. Yeah, let's stay on opposite coasts here, okay? (laughs) But first, the news. (laughs) Did you ever serve in the military sober? Were you ever stationed overseas on a ship while trying to stay sober? What were AA meetings like in the military? What were some of the challenges? Did you find AA while serving? Tell us about being in AA while serving your country. If you find inspiration in a deadline, you're in luck. Stories are due February 15th. Write it and send it in this week. Now a word from our sponsors. We don't have sponsors. What are you thinking? Oh yeah, we don't do the commercial sponsor thing. Since the grapevine is self-supporting, we don't sell ad space in our magazine, on our website, or in our podcast. Grapevine doesn't even accept donations from AA members. If you want to support Grapevine and this podcast, visit aagrapevine.org store. alcoholic. Very happy to be here. Thank you. Hey, Laura. My sobriety date is December 25th, 1981. I am in Boise, Idaho right now. My home group is Faith Forward Women's Group on Wednesday nights. Thank you so much for joining us. So a a Christmas sobriety date. Yes. There's got to be a story there. (laughs) How was Christmas Eve before that? (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting because one reason it's uh, my sobriety date is because I started going to meetings a few weeks before that. I was 12-stepped, knew I belonged in Alcoholics Anonymous, 
quite a bit was going on in my life, as you might imagine at that time. I had moved to Colorado to get residency so that I could go to college. That's one way to tell the story. The other is I was running away from my wreckage of my addictions, which was building. So I went and lived with an aunt there, which is where I was 12-stepped, knew I was an alcoholic, was told someone in a blackout that I was and got 12-stepped in kind of the old-fashioned way the next day. When I moved back to Chicago, I went to a couple meetings and it was probably like December 20th. They were so big. I come from Vail, Colorado, tiny meeting. I got all the attention to a big meeting in Chicago. So I felt kind of distant. And then I thought New Year's is coming. There's no way I'll stay sober at New Year's. Yeah. I drank for another two days. I couldn't get drunk. I couldn't black out. I couldn't stop wanting to kill myself. It didn't work. Mm. And I stayed depressed. I was 17 years old when all this happened. Um, I called a friend of mine from high school who I knew had been dropped off at a AA meeting. He told me where one was the next day. So, oh wow, that's a hard time. Yeah. I would think to quit. Maybe the day after New Year's would make sense, or maybe the day after Christmas. But Christmas Day, it's like. But when it comes, when the uh, the rushing despair comes, that's the time to do it. It doesn't matter what day it is once it's <laughs> once it's it there. It surely doesn't. No, it doesn't. I mean, it's it's like when that moment of reasonableness hits, when you know what whatever crack in my armor showed up. So no, that was all the way back in 1981. Had you heard of AA before December 25th? I did. I was 16 then, or maybe sitting in a assembly at my high school, a Chicago Bears player. I don't know what they were doing with the anonymity thing, but he was in AA and he told his story and he talked about blackouts. I went, oh, that's what I have. I Because I knew my drinking was different than other people's from the very first drink. And I thought, oh, someday when I'm old, like 40, I'll go to AA. So it it got in there. Even that first time I wasn't ready. There was a little bit of relief that I knew what was wrong. I know what's wrong. I know where to go get help, but I got time. Yeah. I got I got some partying to do. <laughs> well, I can understand that. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, that's I mean so I went to my first meeting when I was 17 or 18 years old and didn't come back till I was 32. It's understandable because when I came in at age 40, I was like, well, I don't know. <laughs> you know there's a feeling of this is the end of my life to come to AA. Oh, yeah. I had that feeling for sure. <laughs> did you have peers in the rooms? Yes, I did. You did? Yes. I remember Tracy had six months and she and I became friends right away. I wanted her to sponsor me and her sponsor said she's not ready yet. But people were very welcoming to me. I mean, no one, I don't know if I just looked that bad, <laughs> but no one suggested I didn't belong. Um, what I did feel was a little bit of envy because I assumed all you old people <laughs> had a lot more fun for a longer period of time before it stopped working. Tell me. In these many years of recovery, have you had fun? Oh, so much fun. <laughs> it's not been a long, slow slog through life. No, no. It's it's had its hard moments. And think about all the things I've gotten to do sober, everything from college to kayaking, wilderness trips, 
be a mom of twin boys, watch them grow up. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So you came in, you didn't get the sponsor you wanted. Yeah, it was her sponsor, actually. What was your experience in working the steps? When I look back now, I thought, oh, I had the gift of desperation. I was willing to do anything. There were ulterior motives sometimes. I was willing to go to two meetings a day because I was living with my parents, you know, and I would <laughs> prefer to be at a meeting. Um, and I was, it was the only time I felt okay. I, I didn't understand how it was going to actually solve my problem, but I was willing to try anything. And I did feel understood. The first three steps in are kind of about surrender and giving up. How did you go about that? I didn't know what an alcoholic was, but I was very willing. I knew I was powerless over alcohol and I couldn't stop even when I wanted to. That first step. I thought I was an atheist when I came in. Um, I did look around the room and I thought, all these people are leaning on something that's not there. And I was a little worried about everybody. <laughs> and so I... Um, <laughs> I didn't think that that part was going to work for me. That's what I mean by like, I don't, I don't right. see how this. And then also the other kind of resistance I had to AA in the beginning, I knew I wasn't happy even when I didn't drink. So how was AA going to help? I didn't understand that this is a program of living, not just taking away the alcohol. How did you resolve, came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore you to sanity, not believing in a power I was willing to pretend I believed for a while or to try it. And everyone told me that it was okay to use the group. Mm -hmm. You know, I knew one of the men who was five years sober was an atheist and he was sober and still using the group. So I knew lots of different things worked. I did become willing to pray. I felt like I was talking to air. I was afraid of the third step. I made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as we understood him. I assumed it would mean I would become a nun. I was a very black and white thinker. I'm like, if I turn my will and life over, I wasn't even Catholic, but of course God's going to want me to become a nun. Who will so I, I be? Was, yeah, right. <laughs> I thought I was pregnant when I came in, which to me felt like the end of the world. Instead of saying the serenity prayer and the Lord's prayer, which were the two I had learned from meetings and I just sort of voiced, I said, okay, God, I don't know if you're there, but you know what's going on with me and I don't know what to do about it. I was too afraid to go to the doctor even. I said that and I felt this sort of recognition that anything was okay. No matter what, it would be okay. That was the first time I had just really re like had that honesty with something that could be out there. Yeah. I also found out I wasn't pregnant the next morning, which was a very helpful way to kind of finish off that spiritual experience. But um, it was that getting honest with that interior thing. And I guess today I, I feel like I don't understand what higher power is, but I rely on it every day. I don't feel like I have to have a certain creed or a certain anything, but I do pray and meditate every day. I do trust that there is some source that's helping me stay sober today get on this podcast and talk, <laughs> to, <laughs> you know, anything that needs to be done, I'm willing to give it a try with this higher power. That's There's your higher power, whatever works. God, group of drunks. That's the way I started as well. Good orderly direction. That was one that I was told. I, I had a problem with God in the beginning as well. And I am atheist and mm -hmm. I pray and I live this program and I have no need to define whatever a higher power is, but what I know is my life works today. 
I also used to pray to the nothing. That's what I yep. said, Laura. <laughs> but I found I got results. So, you know, I I don't know that I believe in it, but I know that it works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? so it depends. Ask me which day of the week, whether I believe in it or not. Sometimes I'm deeply connected and sometimes I'm not connected. It comes and goes. But to me, it makes no difference because I know that asking a higher power for direction, my life improves if I do that. Yes. So you made an inventory and shared that with another person, step four and five. What's your experience with that? The first time through, it was telling my secrets to my sponsor. I was going through the steps pretty fast the first time because I was in a lot of pain and I was willing to do anything to get over that. And the fact that she was not shocked by some of the things I shared and that she had her own stories was so helpful. And the horrible thing, like some of them weren't even mine, some of them weren't even my shame, right? Like some things were things that happened to me, but um, the fact that I could share that with another human being and a higher power, which is in that fifth step too. I did believe that there was something else that was helping the two of us. And I feel like that, you know, whatever that is, me sharing inventory or listening to inventory, that there's this some kind of something between me and that other person that also helps that transform into another day of sobriety and a little bit more freedom, that kind of thing. I didn't get the huge freedom until step nine. Me too. Yeah. It is making amends. That yeah. is the real gold in AA. I agree with that. I, I feel like the amends step, I got so much more out of it than I put in, like that I didn't even know. It, it's about righting a wrong and about changing a relationship to the extent I can. But it also is about recognizing what's not mine. But you know, another thing about it is that all of the preceding steps are focused on me. And when I got to step nine, you know, it's still about me. That's why I'm doing it. But the focus was on someone else. Yeah. You begin to get to the place where you can actually be who you are, because that's what happened to me. It was in making amends that I got to the place where now I'm free to live one day at a time and correct my mistakes as they happen in the present moment, instead of having this baggage I'm carrying around from the past. I love how you said that, that freedom to be who I am. And I was thinking one of the things I actually mentioned in that story is I was able to spend the last five months of my mom's life with her, helping her care for her with my dad. I've been very lucky. Both of my parents loved me very much and were great to me. And I had a pretty good relationship, but I'm very different than my mom. And so there were a lot of years and particularly in the beginning of sobriety, I was 17, I was a teenager, and we had a lot between us that we couldn't talk about. I knew I hurt them. I voiced amends early on for that hurt. But when I look at the true amends, it was beginning to open to my mom again over the years to be able to see the places I really hurt her. I was, you know, my own kids were toddlers when I finally realized that I had not used a plane ticket home for Christmas. My very, and I was sober. I was sober a year. <laughs> They had sent me a plane ticket to come home for Christmas, and I was having a hard time with jobs and probably relationships, and I didn't use it. I instead decided to move to San Diego impulsively, right? So 
it was probably 18 years later that I finally realized, oh, that really hurt my mom. Mm. I started seeing things like that. And as soon as it would come up, I could have a conversation. I guess what I'm saying in a very long way around is staying in relationship with people through the hard things. All relationships have harms, sober or not. And being able to continue to show up with an open heart has been my actual amends work. For me, how that changed, it's not only that I took care of my mom at the end of her life as an amend, I wanted to, like, that was a gift to me. Who did that, right? Like, that's a higher power to me is like something changed in my heart because I was, I would have been even 10 years before that, I would have been like, oh, I kind of hope my sisters take care of my parents in their old age so I can do this thing. I had no idea what a, a beautiful, valuable experience that time would be with my mom. Um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. So that's a men's work to me. And it's lifelong work. Oh, that's beautiful. That is. I relate. That's how I listen. This is taking me to my experience with my grandmother. Alcohol kept me away from her. You know, I wouldn't show up because I was hungover or I wouldn't stay long because I wanted to go drink. And the last 10 years of her life, I got to be the best little grandson ever. She was just an amazing woman. And I got to experience all these things that this woman who lived to be 98 years old, we get to have this gift of relationships. Work in the steps doesn't solve everything and not all relationships heal, but it gives us a chance. Yeah. So Laura, well, your mother is one thing, but what about making amends to someone who you're enemies with? <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd use that word. Let's say difficult relationship. Yeah, let's use that one. <laughs> you mean like an ex-husband I share children with? That would be, yeah, yeah. could be one, yes. I guess what comes to mind is people who don't want direct amends for me. Mm -hmm. That was hard for me. I tend to be a fairly relational person. I do want to, I feel like I would want to be able to heal relationships, but just as you just said, Sam, sometimes that takes two people to be willing mm -hmm. to do that. I have learned how to survive with people not liking me, which was not something I ever. <laughs> yes, that's tough, wasn't it? So how do you do that inside? What is your story? What are the tools you're using to survive someone not liking you and being okay with that? It all starts with other humans who are in this program of recovery for me. Working with a sponsor and others who I can talk through my fear and anger and character defects and all like I one thing I love about AA is you can just be who you are here, right? And it's not only that I can be, it's that I absolutely have to be. When I go to a meeting, I know I can't pretend, you know, I've got some time in this program and every once in a while I think I should say something profound or I should. And so during those difficult relationships, they have been some of the hardest times in my life. Divorcing with my twin boys were four years old when I divorced from their father. Having a space where I can be honest about all of that was important. Doing the, that inventory work, recognizing my real wrongs, being really willing to look at stuff, which is hard because it means I need to change. <laughs> Particularly with romantic relationships, I often um, didn't want to look at all the information I was getting internally mostly, and I wasn't always honest with myself. So getting to a point where I could see that and be willing to do that third step in this new area really was important. 
And then knowing that it's normal to have feelings about that, like really strong feelings were going to come up. My kids were involved. So a lot of the, the stuff that was really hard was when I worried about their well-being. Mm-hmm. And that brings up intense emotions. I did go to counseling during this time too. So I think outside help is awesome when we go through times of crisis and things like that. I remember once I had to make amends. I had to call their dad back because they heard my voice raise on the phone and I wanted my kids to hear the amend too, right? Like, and, and I knew I needed to make the amend and it was tempting to not do it right then. But then I thought, you know, someday my kids are going to have to make an amend too. And I want them to see. So I called their dad back and I acknowledged that it was really not acceptable for me to have talked to him in that tone. I prayed before that. That's another tool. So I use all of them every day, I think. I don't Uh think that's overstating. Like I am actually an alcoholic who needs a lot of help. (laughs) I need the whole toolkit. Well, and that's just it. And you've got the toolkit. You're picking up the tools. I have evidence when I'm not using it, right? Oh, (laughs) yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I came in when I was 17 years old. And I always say that Alcoholics Anonymous has brought me from adolescence to AARP age. (laughs) (laughs) Laura, thanks for being here today. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you both. And now a word from our sponsor. Wait, wait, Sam, we don't do that. What are you thinking? No, not commercial sponsors. Our sponsors, our personal AA sponsors. Not just ours, AA sponsors in general. Oh, you mean call in with things we've heard our sponsors say? Exactly. Folks, reach out to us via aagrapevine.org slash podcast and tell us some of the great things you've heard from your sponsors. We'd love you to call the number there and let us know. I got one. When I was given my fifth step, I described a little petty shoplifting and my sponsor said, so you're a thief. (laughs) He didn't think it was that petty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Here's one from my current sponsor. Claim your progress. I love that one because I have grown and I claim that growth rather than dismiss it by saying I'm as sick as when I got here. Nice. Call in and let us know what your sponsors have told you. You can reach us at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Ossifer, my sponsor, always says it's not how many times you fall, it's how many times you get back up. I'm afraid that's not how sobriety tests work, (laughs) ma'am. It's really not that funny. Thanks for joining us. The AA Grapevine Half Hour Variety Hour is posted every Monday and is produced by AA Grapevine, Inc. We don't speak for AA as a whole. We share the experience, strength, and hope of members to help others recover from alcoholism. Podcast info, including how to call in, is at aagrapevine.org slash podcast. Find AA Grapevine on Instagram and the AA Grapevine channel on YouTube. All things Grapevine are available at aagrapevine.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org.